and welcome to From Know to Nothing, Ontological Oxymorons. I'm your host, Joel Bouchard, a doctoral student in psychology, and with me today is Mr. Norman Gayford, a professor of English and philosophy. While it is readily apparent that the animals in Aesop's fables are stand-ins for people, there is one whose stories tend to have a direct, impactful correlation with human society, particularly people as workers. The sheer number of tales written about this creature tend to corroborate this view. And of course, when we think of the animal that most represents human beings, we obviously picture the donkey. <laughs> so, um, you know, we'll preface it. We were talking about a little bit before the show. Um, these fables uh, in the original do not reference a donkey. They reference another animal that, based upon our uh, sort of contractual obligations with the podcast providers we cannot pronounce the name of, but it's a three-letter word that starts with A um, <laughs> that can be considered a swear word, but long ago was merely just a name for a, a donkey. And you mentioned that there is a distinct difference between a donkey and and, the um, and this other word. And I uh, do you want to talk about it a yeah, little bit? Yeah, the, 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 word, the word that shall not be said uh, <laughs> is undomesticated, the donkey is domesticated. And while that may seem like a, a very minor distinction, um, as we read the stories and talk about them, it, some very peculiar things come up be, because of that distinction. Yeah, that's actually, it's it's a very big distinction if you think about it, because in a lot of these stories, the, um, the animal is domesticated, um, but he doesn't want to be. Right. He doesn't want right. to be. Yeah. So, yeah. And so... That that other word is probably more appropriate for the creature in question um, than the one we'll be using. But for the sake of um, political correctness, we don't know whose little ears are listening or what the case may be. We'll stick with we'll stick with donkey. All right. So um, there's a lot of stories that we're going to cover. Like I said, I you know of the animals we've looked at so far, by far there are there's twice as many stories written about the donkey as any of the other ones. Yeah. And um, that was what was striking me as I was reading through them as I, I go, oh, okay, I'm the donkey in this story, you know, or, oh, yeah, I've definitely met this donkey before in real life. Like, they, it, there's something very human about the donkey stories, whereas, you know, with the fox or um, the eagle, you know, some of it might be a little abstract. It might seem like, okay, well, this story was made up to to get a moral across the donkey stories seem very pertinent. This is a story about people. Yes, yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's probably the most, I think some of the most earthy um, on the ground stories. Yeah. Yeah. Stories about people and, and a lot of stories about how people relate to um, being governed, I think. Mm -hmm. So we'll dive right into it. Um, the first one is the donkey and his masters. Mm -hmm. So I'll, I'll start out. A donkey, belonging to an herb seller who gave him too little food and too much work, made a petition to Jupiter to be released from his present service and provided with another master. Jupiter, after warning him that he would repent his request, caused him to be sold to a tile maker. Shortly afterwards, finding that he had heavier loads to carry and harder work in the brick field, he petitioned for another change of master. Jupiter telling him that it would be the last time that he could grant his request, ordained that he should be sold to a tanner. The donkey found that he had fallen into worse hands, and noting his master's occupation, said groaning, it would have been better for me to have been either starved by the one 
or to have been overworked by the other of my former masters, than to have been bought by my present owner, who will even after I am dead tan my hide and make me useful to him. So the explicit moral the donkey and his masters is he that finds discontentment in one place is not likely to find happiness in another. Okay. That was, that was, all right. Yeah, I, I can see that. And I, I can already tell, like, I'm going, to, I'm hoping I don't slip up at one of these because I've printed it out with the original word in, in here. So I, I'm going to have to catch myself <laughs> we'll, with donkey. We'll, try, throat, we'll keep trying to do the donkey thing. <laughs> yeah. But there is, there's, there's a wealth of stuff in this that, that takes us, not necessarily, we don't stay with the donkey, but we, there's, a, there's theological stuff. Hmm. Jupiter can do whatever Jupiter wants. Jupiter's not a a, a gin in a bottle, mm-hmm. a, in a lamp, a genie in a lamp. Oh, this is the last time that I can do this. No, it's the last time that you choose to do it. So, I, when when gods and stories do that, and and sort of make it seem like it's some limitation that they have, that really bothers me because they don't own their decisions. Yeah, and then it, <laughs> yeah, and it gives you. Um... You know, it makes you wonder about about the gods, right? Like, all right, so is it, is it actually a limitation of Jupiter? No, we know that it's not. He's, you know, the the all-powerful god in this pantheon. Um, so is it really more like, um, you know, is, is it playful in some uh, kind of macabre sort of way? <laughs> like, all right, he's sick of the donkey asking him for favors. So, you know, okay, well, this is the last time I can do it because it's going to be the last master that you serve, you know, and he just yeah, puts it yeah. to him because he's tired of granting requests. Yeah. <laughs> when, so there when, is another moral in there, which is, you know, if, you know, if you are, it's almost looking a gift horse in a mouth as well, right? If, if you have somebody who is um, responsible for assignments um, and you start asking for favors, uh, you know, maybe you should be careful how often you approach them for, you know, yes. what yeah. it is it's that you're cautionary about approaching and, and asking for too many favors. So mm. maybe we go off into the loan shark territory and all that kind of thing. Another animal. Um, <laughs> but so, so there's that, there's that theological element, but there's also a, a lot of other stuff going on when he's, what does it say about the herb fellow again? Yeah, he belonged to an herb seller um, who gave him too little food and too much work. Right. Too little food and, and too much work. And so one is supposed to just uh, live with one's conditions, not want to be better at them. Well, okay, if you ask somebody else to make your conditions better, um, that's why we have unions. We don't have a donkey union. But, and of course, they didn't have that when, when uh, Aesop fictional or real uh, was was telling these stories but we're talking about them in the 21st century and if we're going to take things from it we can take things from uh, what i'll just just accept your lot in life hmm that seems awfully ancient or <laughs> yeah exactly and this is where we get into um i can't remember which animal was we were talking about but i said um you know re- so with that particular story rather than there being a moral really what's raised is a philosophical conundrum between how you balance two things the story is similar right so like i said there's you can look at it and say okay well you know you should be careful of 
how often you're complaining or asking favors from your boss, right? Mm -hmm. But that's balanced with the other side of it, which is if you're really being taken advantage of or if you're being um, exposed to subpar conditions, um, are you, should you just, you know, put up with it? Right, and right. that's, we see a lot of that in these donkey stories going forward. Is we, the donkey stories are very often, you can tell them um, almost political propaganda, really, <laughs> to an extent. Yeah, I think Starbucks would have liked that story. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the next one we got is um, the donkey carrying the image. This is uh, this is a really interesting one. Uh, it's it raises more questions than it answers. Yeah, which is why I like it. <clears throat> a donkey carrying the image. A donkey once carried through the streets of a city a famous wooden image, capital, to be placed in one of its temples, capital. As he passed along, the crowd made lowly prostration before the image. The donkey, thinking that they bowed their heads in token of respect for himself, bristled up with pride, gave himself airs, and refused to move another step. The driver, seeing him thus stop, laid his whip lustily about his shoulders and said, Oh, you perverse dull head, it has not yet come to this that men pay worship to a donkey. And maybe we've reached the point in time where we have. I don't know. <laughs> so, yeah, you're right. I think that this this one does raise a lot more questions than it answers. So, of course, we'll start with the, uh, the explicit moral, which is, they are not wise who give to themselves the credit due to others. Yeah. Which is ridiculous because there really isn't another, there isn't an others in this scenario. There's an image. And I think that that's very important. It's a very important inst- distinction in this story. Yeah. There's there's no others that are getting credit for it. There's this image. And so the people are paying reverence to the image and the donkey mistakes are them paying reference to him. To me here, I think that the more like the the uh the purpose of the story is almost around relying around the arts, kind of, right? Uh, I think yes, with artists, art. right? If you're an actor or you're a musician or you're a painter or something, and you create these things. Um, I think that what people are paying reverence to is is the art itself. And too often, um, the artists get caught up with this idea that that they're being paid homage to, right? Yeah, yeah. And you can see that backfire. You know, on rare occasions, there is an artist where um, you say, okay, this is a this is a fantastic specimen of a human being intellectually or or these sorts of things. But more often cases than not, um, there's there's a lot of people that I I really enjoy their art. Um, but but you then wouldn't as, necessarily go to coffee with them. Yeah, yeah, I, I you know, I yeah, exactly. I wouldn't go to coffee with them, or I don't want them to tell me how to vote, or I don't want them to tell me, um, you know, what to believe in yeah, yeah. these sorts of things. So that's sort of the message that I took off out of it off of the bat. Which I don't think was the intended message at all, but that's what jumps off the page. Well, and see, that's why I think these stories keep being worthwhile. There are going to be messages heard, depending on who we are in our context and our culture and 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 the time. And so, yeah, I think it's certainly about art. It's about well, image is capitalized, temples capitalized. So there's a there's a reverential, theocratic or religious uh, notion that seems to be um, raising itself here. 
Does the donkey know that they're going to a temple? Does the donkey know what a temple means? To what extent is the anthropomorphizing of the of the animal making it exactly human with exact human knowledge or not? So if the donkey's walking along with this image and doesn't even know what the image is, and everybody's going, hooray, who wouldn't stop and say, oh, me? Yeah, yeah. And so the driver can say, no. Not you. Move on. But no, the driver has to get all. Yeah, you see. Yeah, you can (laughs) you can pull different morals from the story if um, you know, if we stick with the main moral there, right? The why they're not wise who give themselves the credit due to others. Right. You can draw all kinds of things from that, like um, you know, powerful tech CEOs nowadays, right? You got your Elon Musk's, your Jeff Bezos, or your Mark Zuckerberg's, right? You can say the same thing, like, well, really, it's it's software engineers and, and other people that built these guys' empires, right? Um, but the the way they present themselves and the way that they sort of act like gods, um, you know, it's really it's really not you specifically as you and the people that helped you build this thing. Yeah. But like you just mentioned, if if the donkey is unaware of the importance of the image, then that that message doesn't really apply to the story. Um, if yeah. this obliviousness, the the idea philosophically of carrying something very important uh, or having something very important that you're unaware of and that you're not responsible for that people um, appreciate, that that really changes how you interpret what the meaning of the story is altogether. Yes. It could be beauty in this case, right? It could you, be like, beauty. You're in no yeah. way responsible for that. You 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 didn't do anything to achieve that. Right. And in some cases you might even be oblivious that you have it. But if everybody's treating you a certain way, then they're, you you think that they're prostrating themselves before you they're falling down below you think there's something special. And 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 again the message seems to be don't stray out of the lane. You aren't special. Mm. Just keep doing uh, what you're doing. And there's a separation from that thing you're carrying. But there's also an association. And, and this is the other thing that works for me with with this. It's related to something you, you were just going after. If you are associated with something and therefore have its characteristics, whatever people assign to that thing, um, they don't know who you are. And if they're not even paying attention to the donkey, they're paying attention to the image. They're not paying attention to the fact that this creature, if it weren't doing its work, that image wouldn't get to the temple. Hmm. And, and so the, the value of the work is being missed. The uh, idea of association, uh, because suppose somebody started hating that image and they all started throwing tomatoes. The donkey's going to get tomatoes in its muscle and say, what, what did I do? Hmm. Whenever we are associated with something much larger than ourselves, we take on the, the implied attributes or characteristics or aspects of that thing. And if we aren't careful and question what we're associated with, then we can take the brunt of that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's a really excellent moral for that story. I think that one, that works really well. All right. Um, the next one we have is the donkey and the frogs. And we visited frogs before, but it was in Japan. Yeah. <laughs> Probably not the Japanese frogs. Maybe it is. We'll <laughs> see. So a donkey carrying a load of wood passed through a pond. 
As he was crossing through the water, he lost his footing, stumbled, and fell, and not being able to rise on account of his load, groaned heavily. Some frogs frequenting the pool heard his lamentations and said, What would you do if you had to live here always as we do, when you make such a fuss about a mere fall into the water? <laughs> this is the fable about me. This is my <laughs> fable, right? Because um, I, I, you know, I, you don't want to pride yourself on things, but you get so far in life and you you can identify things about yourself, right? And one of the things I've identified myself is that I perform very, very well in high pressure, high stakes environments. And people comment on it all the time. You're very, so cool and collected. You made all the right decisions and nothing, you know, everything was calculated and worked perfectly, right? And this happens time and time again to the point now where it's like, um, I don't even get nervous about stuff. I don't, nothing really phases me. I just, I, if something happens, doesn't matter if it's a surprise or if it's planned. I just know that I'm going to do well on the big stage, right? But then little things, um, just the tiniest little things, right? You know, if I try to open a drawer and, and it doesn't open on the first pull, right? There's words that would make a sailor blush coming out of my mouth. Like like the drawer, you know, what we talked about it with, um, oh, Sartre, you know, yeah. saying like, oh, this inanimate thing is out to get me, you yeah, know? Like, right. It has an intention to ruin my my life right there goes existentialism and that's <laughs> that's the donkey in the pond right you know the the explicit moral there men often bear little grievant grievances with less courage than they do large misfortunes i um, like that interpretation yeah. it's funny because it's a common <laughs> thing you know it might it might not be completely applicable to everybody maybe everybody doesn't do well on the very big stages but the point is all of us i think all of us handle some big things without blinking and then some little things set us right off track. Yeah, yeah. And it makes me wonder where does that come from? You know, <laughs> <laughs> it's a it's an interesting uh, evolutionary aspect. <laughs> yeah, I don't. Maybe it's it's good for humility. Maybe it's good to remind us that you know things happen that it's existential. Things happen that have nothing to do with you. Well, how you open a drawer may have something to do with you, but it also may have to do with the drawer sticking and you didn't want it to stick. But when my cat tromped through a paint job I was doing this week, <laughs> you know, I didn't intend for that. Um, I shouldn't have gotten all exercised about it. I just said, oh, cool, I should keep the footprints. But no, instead, I, I say loudly to the cat, what are you doing? Get out of here. But why do I want the cat to do that? Not that it did because I said so, but then it trumped little footprints up the floor <laughs> till his toe beans get dry. So I exacerbated the situation. Right. So, yeah. And I'll often do that. Right. With the, <laughs> again, with that little stuff is that, you know, if, if you start out and then the littlest thing sets you off track or gets you frustrated, all of your attempts after that are much worse. We have a, we have a job at work where um, you fit these fiberglass rods into holders in a press, right? And these things are very tight tolerances. And so if you're completely relaxed, you can just slide these rods right into the holders. Mm -hmm. But the, the second you feel even slightly frustrated, I don't know what it is. If your muscles just in your hands tense up a little bit more, what happens? But they get jammed and they won't go in. And then you get more frustrated and then they, you, so you pull it out and it goes in even worse. Yeah, and it gets to the right. point where you can't even get the thing 
partially in there and you're just swearing at it and jamming <laughs> at it and you're you're scraping off the corners of it and it's a mess right yeah and so you know it, and it is interesting to think about that philosophically or psychologically right what would be what is the purpose of that and it's you know i think with with the big stuff i think it might be the sort of thing where your brain is probably telling you okay this is um, a moment of life and death or it's a life-changing moment so, um, you know, failure in this situation or perceived failure in this situation would do, um, you know, irreparable harm to the psyche. Mm -hmm. So as a result, what we need to do is accept whatever consequences happen. And if they're a success, then we did well. And if it's unsuccessful, then there's going to be reasons that we were unsuccessful that don't reflect on us. But I think with the little stuff, that's more like, um, your psyche or your psychology saying, listen, you need to find ways to do things better and more efficient and to take less time and, and to, you know, perfect them. Be one with the material, Obi-Wan. Yeah. <laughs> and so we put a lot, you know, it's, the frustration is immediate. I don't know. Well, know, I think, I think th this is really interesting. You just said, you just were talking basically consequentialism and, and, and deontology in, in a sense. Um, but we're also talking uh, Zen. We're talking about a kind of Buddhist notion that you just do it without thinking. And the more you think about it, the more resistance you're going to get. And I think that's a marvelous example that you just use from work because it is, whether you're on, <laughs> this may or may not be familiar to people, but if if something's gone wrong with your lawnmower and you try to take a certain part of the lawnmower off to fix it, and then you bend a screw while you're taking it out, then you sometimes could lose your composure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and no, then you end up hurting your hand by hitting your thumb because you whacked something that wasn't with a hammer because you were angry. And of course, that doesn't help anything. Right. Yeah, Western New York is flush with, with examples of that, especially working on your own car with the way things salt <laughs> on the road rusts everything and bolts lock up and everything. But, but yeah, I think, and so, you know, I, I'm in the process of resealing my driveway right now, and I love it. And I think that the reason I love it is because it's so simple, right? Nothing bad can happen, you know, really nothing. You're like if I'm sealing the cracks and if I put too much sealing on it, doesn't matter. If I run out of sealant and I don't get to fill all the cracks, mm -hmm. I'll get them next year. They'll come back. You know, <laughs> what's the big deal? <laughs> You're putting the sealant on. Okay. Maybe you get a little bit on the, on the foundation of the house. Nobody cares. Nobody's going to be looking, you know, it's just this nice, simple activity. And I think we're tempted to say that it's mindless, right? It's a mindless activity. But mm -hmm. what we found with modern psychology is that nothing's really mindless, no, right? If no, you're it's doing not mindless. Even if you're not focused on the task you're doing, your default mode network kicks in and the daydreams and the other things take you places and your your brain can actually accomplish some really good work, like Einstein in the post office, right? <laughs> yeah. Doing these things that we consider mindless, your your brain can actually be doing very serious work during those times or during sleep or whatnot. Um, so yeah, it's, it's really, um, it's, it's an interesting. And why did he tale. go through the pond in the first place? Yeah. If it's a Was pond, there no other way around? I don't know. <laughs> There's that too. Yeah. It's, it's a donkey. So I don't know. We don't have, we don't have high expectations for him. So the next one is the donkey's brains. Ah, uh, yes. 
this is a rather grim tale, <laughs> even though it's Aesop, I couldn't help it. <laughs> grim tales. All right. This is called The Donkey's Brains. The lion and the fox went hunting together, which seems <laughs> editorializing. It seems, okay, we'll picture it. The lion, on the advice of the fox, sent a message to the donkey proposing to make an alliance between their two families. The donkey came to the place of meeting, overjoyed at the prospect of a royal alliance. But when he came there, the lion simply pounced on the donkey and said to the fox, here is our dinner for today. Watch you here while I go and have a nap. Woe betide you if you touch my prey. The lion went away and the fox waited. But finding that his master did not return, ventured to take out the brains of the donkey and ate them up. When the lion came back, he soon noticed the absence of the brains and asked the fox in a terrible voice, What have you done with the brains? Brains, your majesty. It had none, or it would never have fallen into your trap. <laughs> and, the, and the stated moral is wit has always an answer ready. Which is a good moral if the story is about the fox. Right. I think it, if, <laughs> it's exactly if, it. If, this is, if the story is about the fox, I think that's great. And I think that we, again, I think I hear this story and, and two or three people that I know in, in real life pop to mind as being the fox. I go, yeah, you know what? They might not necessarily be the smartest people. They might not always make the best choices, but man, they always know the right thing to say. <laughs> but the moral for the donkey is a little bit different because it I is. think that in that case... Um, it's sort of being wary of who offers you an alliance, right? Why would a lion want an alliance with a donkey? What would a donkey possibly have to offer a lion, you know, that you should come running to something that is uh, a natural predator? Well, then we have the donkey who is a simple animal, uh, a simple person, if we're putting people in the, in the stage, who, oh, I could actually be associated with a better family, you know. Hmm. And okay, so maybe what one can understand, but certainly the donkey is not a strategist. <laughs> one would have thought if the donkey had seen the fox with the lion, but the donkey can't run fast enough, and the donkey gets there and pounds. <laughs> it's the end of donkey. Yeah. So that moral does not apply to the donkey. You're, you're, you're right. Yeah, I think, you know, with these these sort of three animal stories, it becomes easier to um, see each animal as as a certain concept, right? You see the lion as power, you know, and you see you see the fox as wit. Um, and maybe that's the reason they're together in the first place, right? Maybe the fox got in the lion's ear and said, hey, listen, you know, I got a really good nose. I can track stuff. I'll know where <laughs> things are. Hey, you know, we don't even have to do all that. Like, let's just call the donkey over. He's dumb. He'll come in. We can just eat him. It's an easy meal, you know? So you have all these these images in, you know, clearly in your mind. And I think with the donkey, it is it is simplicity, right? And I think that's what a lot of these stories are sort of telling us about him is that, you know, I, you call me, I come. You're the king. Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's that element too. Oh, the, the, you don't say no to the the, the royal family. It, so yeah, the donkey comes along and immediately gets hit. And the lion, being of such privilege, I mean, there's a there's the thing to me about privilege. Okay, I killed it. Now I can sleep for a while. Well, then you weren't hungry in the first place. Hmm. <clears throat> you were pre 
preparing to be hungry later, and so you're stocking your larder. Moreover, you can order the fox to leave it alone. And so, yes, there's a, it's a sort of a king and a jester thing. But who gets hurt? The underdog. Yeah. Who's just forgotten in the story and becomes a point of, of laughter. And for me, this is very much applicable to so much in the 21st century where decisions are made, where people are led into thinking, oh, this is going to be good for me. And it isn't. <laughs> and so things that look like they might be good for you maybe be questionable. I think that would be a better moral. Yeah, that's a really good moral. And I think it's funny that, you know, like we were talking about, uh, most of these stories about the donkey are like, um, it's really a government to citizen sort of moral that's trying to be mm-hmm. relayed yeah, and, and how yeah. citizens should act. But this one, I mean, if is so troubling, it's almost hard to see it not in the opposite way, which you just clearly laid out, which is that, oh, wait a minute, should we come at the, the beck and call of governments, you know, or government officials? Or, you know, should we, if they're offering us something that sounds too good to be true, um, should we be skeptical, you know? should And more often than that, you know, the people that are serving um, these, these powerful figures, um, should we be wary of how they're using their wit or how they're bending the ears or these sorts of things. Mm-hmm. There's a lot in there. There is. Um, that's, I think of the fox as Loki in this one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Oh, he's the trickster. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, the next one is the donkey and the lion skin. A donkey having put on the lion's skin roamed about in the forest and amused himself by frightening all of the foolish animals he met in his wanderings. At last, coming upon a fox, he tried to frighten him also. But the fox no sooner heard the sound of his voice than he exclaimed, I might possibly have been frightened myself if I had not heard your bray. So the explicit moral here is clothes may disguise a fool, but his words will give him away. Okay, um, I, I guess that... <laughs> <laughs> but... But the the donkey is having fun mm. to me in that he he, he puts on well, say it again yeah yeah he he puts on the lion skin and roams about in the forest and amuses himself by frightening all the foolish animals he meets in his wanderings. Okay, questions need to be asked. Where did he find a lion skin? Yeah, I think there's you a know, so- I think there's a different version of this of this one that starts with um that some hunters had killed a lion and skinned him and he snuck into their camp and, and took it. So I think there's okay. another version that, that does give you an origin for how he found it. All right. So he puts, he puts this, the, the, the lion's gone. Oh, the lion's clearly not been good to donkeys in the past. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so why wouldn't they, why wouldn't a donkey mock the lion and try to feel what it's like to be in charge? Because, the lion clearly wants everyone to, to fear it. And and so, of course, the fox is going to take the donkey down witheringly because the fox is the wit. But one wonders if the fox just for a moment wasn't scared. Yeah, and he even admits, you know, he says, I might possibly have been frightened myself if I had not heard your bray. And I think in the other story, 
um, it actually says that he was scared until he heard the donkey bray. So again, um, I think that between the two of them, you get this image of the fox being scared, but trying to cover the fact that he was scared retrospectively, saying, hmm. oh, you know, ah, oh, well, you know, <laughs> you almost had That's me, right. but I wasn't, I, I figured it out beforehand, right. you know. Right. So, but we picture, I, I can't help this. I picture the donkey wearing a lion's skin. All right, it would drape on the donkey. If the donkey's wandering along, then then animal, let's say people might say, oh, lion, let's, let's keep our distance. So, do what a leader does, but don't try to sound like the leader. Hmm. That's one that speak that that's yeah. an alternate that that comes to me. That have your fun, but don't have so much fun that you're going to get discovered. That that's that's you wouldn't want to teach a child that, but you know, yeah, like, yeah. I think I'm guessing the moral. You know, if we look at the donkey and the lion in their respective roles, as we we you start to conceptualize them throughout the fables, you'd think that probably the message they were trying to send was. Um, you know, that there's a separation between the lower classes and the upper classes, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So if you're if you're a, a you know a peasant, don't try to be, you know, bourgeoisie. You know, yeah, like you, yeah, you don't yeah. you have no place, you know, having power or you know, acting this way. You know, it's you and everybody's gonna know as soon as you start talking, you know. It's a it's a really interesting and I, and I, and I'm not going to I'm not going to tread over lines here by saying this in very general terms. It's really interesting when when you have a lion and everyone else says, "Oh, I want to roar just like the lion," and and the lion likes it. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> when we talk about politics so i i think that there's many again there's many ways of, of reading this where where the disguise but don't go too far or or uh, when when you don't kid yourself to think you can be something that you're not mm -hmm. again right <laughs> or uh, don't don't talk and just just do uh, so yeah, it's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Like you said, depending on, um, you know, depending on how you view the role of the lion and the role of the donkey and the intent behind it, I think it's important that it says the donkey was amusing himself, right? Not that the donkey was actually trying to. Right. Yeah. I think that that's just, that's an important distinction. Who doesn't right? come up behind somebody once in a while and say boo? Right. You know, that that's why before these are on the ground kind of things, we can, we can, associate ourselves with the donkey for heaven's sake can we have fun before the lion eats us right. <laughs> <laughs> all right uh the next one is the donkey and the old shepherd which this one is explicitly um a uh government to uh yes governed yes. story i totally concur a shepherd watching his donkey feeding in a meadow was alarmed all of a sudden by the cries of the enemy. He appealed to the donkey to fly with him, lest they should both be captured. But the animal lazily replied, why should I pray? 
Why should I pray? Do you think it likely the conqueror will place on me two sets of panniers? No, rejoined the shepherd. Then, said the donkey, as long as I carry the panniers, what matters it to me whom I serve? And so the explicit morals in a change of government, the poor change nothing beyond the name of their master. Mm. Okay, so you can see that. But I think that there's a lot of other political morals in that story as yeah. well. So yeah. we can start with that one, which is, you know, the explicit one that they say is in there. And there's there's some truth to that, right? And I think that that, that attitude um, pervaded American political attitudes up until, um, you know, the, the Trump election, pretty much. I think before then, there was this sort of um, apathetic attitude towards politics, which was, well, you know, it's really Republican, Democrat, it doesn't matter, right? Like, it's yeah. all the same. It's not, nothing's going to change in my life, right? Mm -hmm. Now, there's been an increasingly polarized, polarized political environment since then. And um, if anything, it's, it's, it's the pendulum has swung in the other direction, where now it's, oh, well, if this person gets elected, everything about your normal life is going to change and fall apart. And, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Apocalyptic um, warning. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, in, in general, right, like if you look at that, OK, you know, it's in a change of government, you know, the, the people at the lowest levels and especially back when the fable was written. Right. All right. The Greeks are in charge. The Macedonians are in charge. You know, wh whoever. Um well, we're just going to keep farming, you know, we're going to keep, you know, paying taxes. We're going to keep doing this stuff, living and dying. You know, nothing's going to change there. You know, right. it's those people at the upper levels, when governments change, you know, throughout history, um, especially violently at those upper levels, you, you know, you look at the history of Rome, right? <laughs> Towards the end of Rome, there's a period where in 50 years, they went through like 52 emperors or something. <laughs> and those guys didn't retire, no. you know, they, no. <laughs> they didn't, they didn't live to see retirement. Um, so it's those high level people that are most likely to um, to get the axe. Yeah, this is it, it, you're right. This is a very a very socio political piece. This little this little piece. It's always the little ones that that are basically because the reference to something a concept uh, the enemy came. We we don't identify an enemy. Hmm. Uh, because it's implying that there's always an enemy. All right, yeah. <laughs> so the enemy is the the enemy of that moment, as 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 you were saying with, with the Romans as an extended example. And why should the donkey this is where we have the anthropomorphizing hitting its own wall. There's clearly a difference between a donkey and a shepherd. Hmm. Now, if the donkey is speaking, and yet the donkey is a donkey, then the donkey is probably not going to have political affiliations at all. What political affiliations would a shepherd have? But right, but they're there. There's 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 a, a warning, and gotta run. And I'll just wear the yoke of the next guy. I'm going to keep doing this because uh, it's my lot in life. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we're back to that again. Uh, and in this case, the donkey has accepted it. The donkey doesn't say, oh, which, which could have happened in an alternative version of the story. I'll tell the enemy where you ran. 
and then I'll be the friend of the enemy. Yeah, and I wish I I'm looking at it now, and we didn't pick any stories that had those sorts of aspects of the donkey. There's a lot of aspects of uh, in the donkey stories where the donkey is discontent with his lot, and he tries to do something, and it doesn't work out for him. And somehow, despite picking eight of these stories, I don't think that we have any with that in it. Um, but yeah, it raises that that specter, and and an even um, more interesting political, you know, sort of aspect to it is this fact that so the shepherd says that they have to escape together in order to survive. Well, what's stopping the donkey from just running off, right? right from whether it's from the enemy or from the shepherd, right? Right. If the because if they're going to leave together, if they're you know their fates are tied together, undoubtedly the way they're going to escape is the shepherd's going to ride the donkey to safety. That's the donkey is the faster animal. That's right. Um, so yeah, what's stopping the donkey what, from just taking off? If you know, the, the, is the donkey just accepting the role because that's what the donkey does? Uh, yeah, and and is the shepherd less likely to survive because the donkey is going to be transport, or would the donkey be food later? I mean, if if a lion can eat a donkey, so can a human being. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. And 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 it's also interesting to me the the shifting of the choice of words for the titles. So in this one we have the shepherd, but the other we have the word master. Hmm. Well, presumably the shepherd's a master, unless the shepherd's in the middle management. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in in which case the shepherd's being. Uh, held to account for something that his master did. I mean, it, it it it's it seems so simple, but it is politically fraught. Yeah, and that is. I like yours about why didn't he just run away? Right, <laughs> and we because is, he was wild after all. Right, yeah, yeah, because <laughs> he is technically uh, an a word, not a donkey in the story. <laughs> but yeah, so this is um, sort of a trope that has reappeared with all of the animals that we've looked at. Is that um, what makes these fables so interesting and so malleable yeah. is the fact that they're so short. Um, you're left to infer the background story based off of the little detail that you have. And that one is really interesting to me that, that you brought up is that what if the, sh you know, the shepherd doesn't own the donkey, the shepherd is working for somebody else who owns the donkey. Um, then that that does create a different dynamic for how they react to an enemy um, coming in. I'm going back to Starbucks again. <laughs> <laughs> not not you know I, I, just as an example, but you've got people on the ground serving. You got uh, managers who do this and that, but uh, help serve sometimes and manage. And then you've got the the corporate owner, and what you do on the ground reflects the corporate owner. Now, Aesop didn't know anything about this, right? But so do I call somebody if if uh, police are doing something that they seem like they shouldn't be doing uh, with a customer? Or do I just say, well, our policy is not to intervene because that's what they, you know, it, it can bring all the, I would use these stories uh, in any workshop with any profession. Yeah. Yeah, and I have a friend who um he works in a union and um him and I have discussions about this all the time, right? About how you know, unions they serve very important functions, um but sometimes they they do the opposite. You know, sometimes they can protect very bad people from consequences, you know? And again, this this moral of 
the, you know, it's, it's less of an explicit moral of us telling you what's happening as raising a philosophical question about, well, how do you balance this and this? And in this case, I think that the shepherd is, is the one, right? Because in the snare you brought up with like a, a Starbucks, right? Something happens. It's that middle manager that faces the tough decisions, right? I think that the people on the ground, right? All right, well, they have no active interest in the welfare of the company necessarily, right? Because it's that it's the pannier, right? right? If I lose this job, I can go get another job. It's not, you know, another job that's similar. It's not a big deal. But I'm being actively confronted in person with something that I know is wrong. So I'm going to take this action. The corporate owner has the exact opposite effect. There's no personal um, confrontation with the evil that's being done, but there is a very high motivation to maintain ownership and to maintain a homeostatic ownership over this environment. The middle manager, the guy in between, um, that's where it gets interesting, right? He, he's being, um, he's incentivized enough to look out for the welfare of the company that, you know, he wants to make sure that the corporate owners are satisfied. But then the people on the ground, he is seeing some of that, right? They're coming back to him. They're giving him stories of what they're seeing, or maybe they're seeing it themselves. And you're you're stuck with that decision, right? This, the, the decision is very clear for the master, and it's very clear for the donkey. But for the shepherd, it's kind of, well, what, what, whose side am I on? I, what I'm am applauding. I, I, like, I, I like that analysis. By the way, Panner, Panner is a basket. So the donkey's carrying baskets. Mm. <laughs> the things are being put in. Right. My brother, who, who, who who's a, a truck driver and a highway worker, uh, has this marvelous uh, motto. He says, we, we pick things up, we put things down. <laughs> <laughs> and I, and I, when we were talking once, I said, well, you know, that applies to almost everything, doesn't it? <laughs> what, what human beings do. But I think in this case, the donkey is saying, what difference does it make? We pick things up, we put things, you put things in the basket, you take things out of the basket. But we go back to the first story, the donkey and his masters, right? Hmm. What if the shepherd currently is loading your panniers with herbs? And what if the enemy is going to load it with tiles? Uh, yeah. Right? So maybe these people on the floor should be a little bit more, have more concern about who the corporate owner is. Or the political owner, right? Mm -hmm. Coming back to that other story, right? Mm -hmm. Saying, mm -hmm. uh, what is, you know, it doesn't affect They're us. all the same. Yes, right. they, no, they're not all the same. Right. No, 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 nobody's the same as anything else. No, no leader is exactly the same. If they were, nobody would be trying to choose leaders in the first place. Right. It would just solve itself. Yeah. And, and that, ex that seemingly in somebody's brain exonerates their attempt to be involved. Well, it's all going to be the same. So it doesn't, it doesn't matter. So in that way, you can read the donkey as being, uh, a totally disinterested political participants who, if he chose to participate, might change the course of things. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that story, man, that one's chock full of morals. <laughs> there's, there's tons of them. <laughs> all right. The next one I have is the donkey, the rooster and the lion. <laughs> And again, I've changed the wording on the other one too, for our, just in case for podcast censors. So a donkey and a rooster were in a straw yard together when a lion, desperate from hunger, approached the spot. He's about to spring upon the donkey when the rooster, 
to the sound of whose voice the lion, it is said, has a singular aversion, crowed loudly, and the lion fled away as fast as he could. The donkey, observing his trepidation at the mere crowing of the rooster, summoned courage to attack him and galloped after him for that purpose. <laughs> he had run no long distance when the lion, turning about, seized him and tore him to pieces. <laughs> so that's one too. We've we've talked about it before. Any of these three animal fables are pretty pretty complicated. And so, you know, thinking about what is this trying to tell me? The explicit moral is false confidence is the forerunner of misfortune. All right, we can see that. That's a pretty pretty obvious part of it. But it doesn't, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't tell the whole story. That leaves that leaves the rooster out of it completely, right? And I think what the rooster did is the central aspect of that story. Yes, right? it, and the donkey. I I read the donkey as, hey, I want to help. You can crow. I can chase. But the trouble is, the donkey chases too far. <laughs> the donkey, get out of here, you! <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but yeah, and, and looking at the animals that we've looked at so far, right? The lion is look is this sort of symbol of power, um, this sort of symbol of majesty, of, of political prowess, right? Hmm. Um, and the donkey is simple. The rooster we haven't we haven't really looked at much. But what you, what you do see is that. The donkey and the rooster have a symbiotic relationship, right? They probably live on a farm together. And the farm probably survives because each each animal, or in this case, you know, person, right, does their part. Yeah. Including the shepherd, who might not be in this story, but we just talked about him, so he's fresh in our mind. Right? <laughs> he comes running in. Yeah. <laughs> So what you see is that the the lion, despite all of his power and all of his majesty and whatnot, could be defeated by a simple rooster, right? Mm. Just just crowing. It's tempting to say, based off of the way that we've examined the lion so far, that the rooster might be the media. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. yeah, yeah, I, I I think the rooster is good journalism, right? Uh, <laughs> because. Uh, because I, I, here I go reading more of in, in, because the rooster has an authentic voice. It's authentic for the rooster to crow at the lion. Now, that's folkloric too. I don't know any bird that would stand up to it. <laughs> I can't think of a, a rooster really. This is like a, a wife's tail or a grandma's tail or whatever. That's okay. We'll take it as it is. The rooster has an authentic voice, but it's not authentic for the donkey to chase the mm-hmm. lion. So again, what's your role? What are your limits? What are your gifts and graces? What are your skills? And and the donkey just forgets that. Sometimes yeah. we forget things. Sometimes we rush in to try to do something authentically and are in over our heads. Yeah, again... This this philosophical conundrum that's created, right? We've looked at all of these examples of the donkey as, um, you know, representing people from lower classes, and how the morals of the stories are telling you stay in your place, know what you are and what you aren't, and abide by that. And then there's the other part of it that says, well, like with the donkey and the and the shepherd, right? Where the donkey's completely disinterested, but the donkey has the capability to change the entire outcome of the the story and the scenario that he's in. Mm-hmm. So balancing these two things, right? And this is something that everybody faces on a daily basis, right? When we're 
applying for a new job, right? If you're reaching for a job that's just a little bit beyond your skill set, well, which donkey are you, right? Are you the donkey that should stay in your place and know what you can do and continue to grind along at your one thing and be content with what you have and not seek a new master? Or are you being, if you don't pursue the job, are you being the donkey that's just apathetic and every job is the same and it doesn't matter what I do as long as I'm getting my paycheck for, you know, towing around my panniers, then life is life, right? Yeah, yeah. Those are the deep philosophical questions that are hidden in these little paragraphs. They, they, this is why they last. Hmm. It's fascinating. It, it is. All right. So our last story um, is the donkey and the mule. <laughs> I have to laugh because we, we should establish that a mule is a cross between a donkey and a horse. Hmm. So, and that in the other stories that, again, we didn't read for time's sake, and I I almost, we could have done two episodes on donkeys if we wanted to. Um, But horse shows up in some of the donkey stories, right? And horse occupies a position of superiority. It's it's more sophisticated and classy and elegant than than the the donkey in the stories. So the mule is a, a cross between the two of them, and we'll kind of see who the mule emulates in his yes. role. All right. The donkey and the mule, <clears throat> a muleteer. This is a person who drives donkeys set forth on a journey, driving before him, a donkey and a mule, both well laden. The donkey, as long as he traveled along the plain, carried his load with ease. But when he began to ascend the steep path of the mountain, felt his load to be more than he could bear. He entreated his companion to relieve him of a small portion, that he might carry home the rest. But the mule paid no attention to the request. The donkey shortly afterwards fell down dead under his burden. Not knowing what else to do in so wild a region, the muleteer placed upon the mule the load carried by the donkey, in addition to his own, and at the top of all placed the hide of the donkey. And we're back to the tanner again. (laughs) After he had skinned him, the mule, groaning beneath his heavy burden, said to himself, I am treated according to my deserts. If I had only been willing to assist the donkey a little in his need, I should not now be bearing together with his burden himself as well. Mm. Lots of stories in this one. Mm -hmm. There's lots of stories in this one. So... The, the explicit moral, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Yeah, we, right. we've all heard this. Yeah, yeah. And that, that moral kind of applies, to, you know, in an odd way to a couple different aspects of the story, which these morals normally don't do. Hmm. But so, you know, I think that the first way that it's referring it to it is the most obvious, which is that, you know, if the mule, um, being a more superior physical specimen to the donkey, had helped the donkey when the donkey asked for help, then, um, you know, his, it would have been a little bit tougher for him, but in the long run, it would have been better because he wouldn't have been loaded with everything that the donkey had. Mm. And, you know, that one's, that one's pretty obvious. Um, but there's, there's other there things in there. Things in there. <laughs> so the muleteer is, is the muleteer master? The military is not a shepherd. The military is a, a truck driver. Hmm. And, and so the donkey 
feels. Now, it said this is interesting because, you know, this is translation from translation from translation. And we know how the phone game works. But the, the, the donkey, as he traveled, when he started going up a steep path, felt he had more to bear than he could. Well, that's ambiguous. Maybe he didn't have more than he could bear, and the muleteer knew it. But that would mean trusting the muleteer. Why would the donkey trust the muleteer? Where's the source of that? Do you trust that to whom you answer? Hmm. And and I think that's a theme that's working in in there. And in fact, he couldn't bear it because he died. So once again, as with so many of the donkey stories, the donkey is a victim. Sometimes the donkey is a victim of its own rash, uh, irrational decision making. Sometimes the donkey is a, a victim because he tries to play the game the way the game goes, uh, with the king, for instance. But it's always the donkey is a, is a victim, except and, and out of this set, I'm just talking extrapolating from the set, except the one where Keeps the panniers, works for the enemy, <laughs> you know. Um, so, but but the but the moral is about the the mule. It's not about the donkey. The donkey doesn't necessarily get morals, right? Attached. Yeah, same thing with the, like the donkey's brains, right? Yeah. There's no, you know, the donkey's just a victim. Things just happen to him, right? Um, but be a wit, and you can get out of anything. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the donkey wasn't a wit, but you know. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's it's um, it is an interesting story like that. Um, there was something else in there, and I was I'm trying to think now what it was. I don't have yeah, it in front of me. But. That, that's well, all right. So the they set they set off they they take off. They're on a journey. They're going up a, a flat plane. Everything's fine. They start to go up a mountain. The mount the 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 donkey is is concerned. He asks for help. For just carrying a little bit of the mule, the mule says no, and the donkey falls down and dies. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot. So I think what's interesting here is from the mule's viewpoint, right? It's not like right off the bat, the donkey said, hey, like, this is too much, take some, mm-hmm. like, without trying. You know, when they're on the flat plane, everything was fine. So when the donkey started complaining when they're going up the hill, that probably should have tipped off the mule that something was actually wrong right on top of that um you know with the, the muleteer right so he loaded up these two animals and the donkey ends up dying well rather than sacrificing any of the load he throws it all on the mule what do you think is going to stop the mule from dying under right, the heavy right. load the muleteer is not being a very uh, thoughtful of of the future possible consequences of this exactly this Good is point. it's a similar fable to you know the monkey grabbing the the nuts out of the the the, the <laughs> hole in the tree right you know in reaching for a treasure right sometimes you're so desperate to hang on to that thing that you have um that you're you're willing to just sacrifice it all you know yeah. it, it's an all or nothing thing right and that's what the muleteers do you're right you're, you're right that's that's rather than, you know looking at the loads and just you know deciding what he can and can't take 
he loads everything on the mule and even skins the donkey and puts the skin on there, right? Uh, I mean, that doesn't a... seem to make a whole lot of sense, although he's <laughs> trying to use everything that he has. But, but where's the muleteer in this discussion with the donkey and <laughs> and the mule? I mean, it's, these are not huge animals, <laughs> right? The, the cart has got to be right there, or or the, the, they're carrying the panniers again, and so are you so inattentive that you don't know? when when you've got too much on your animal or do you so not value it that you know you can just get another donkey in which case the donkey is is, is easily sacrificed well now we can go back to workers workers are easily sacrificed when you think you can find them anywhere mm-hmm. yeah or maybe the maybe the mule's silence right it says the mule ignored the request is because the muleteer would have to be the one to rebalance the load anyways. It was outside of the mule's hands, right? What are they going to do with their hooves? You know? <laughs> and that might that might be part of it too, right? If you have two types of workers um, that are both under, you know, the, the yeah of you know a, a corporate structure, one guy might ask for the other one for help, and the other guy might know. Listen, I can't help you out because if I stray out of my department. I'm going to get the axe anyways, right? <laughs> the, it has to be the, you know, the, the boss that, that redistributes these things. You know? I, I have a question that <clears throat> is uh, inviting us to put some of these, to look at the cluster of stories we, we chose. And you don't have to go here, but I am curious. If you were, if you were called in to consult and, and, to, and uh, if you were called in to help uh, with recruitment for the army, hmm. or if you were in a position where you were taking new recruits and training them, which, if any, of this cluster would you use as a story about how to survive in the army or how to survive because you're a soldier? That's a very difficult question because merely the prospect of this hypothetical scenario puts me into one of these stories, right? <laughs> because the recruits are going to be the donkey and the army is going to be the lion and I'm going to be a shepherd or a mule or one of these other animals, which we've discussed is the most difficult position to be in, right? Um, I would never be a recruiter for the army <laughs> okay, <laughs> because uh, yeah. for that very reason, right? Like I've, I've been the donkey in these stories um, and I know what the donkey puts up with, and I don't agree with a lot of what the mm-hmm. donkey's put up okay. with. So um, I would be hard pressed to be in that situation. Um, but if you were, it, I know what what you're trying to get across, which is the fact that the army is a necessary organization. It's a very solidly hierarchical association, right? Um, so. What morals do you want to give to these people that are going to help them execute their function best? Hmm. Well, um, it depends. Are we if we're looking at them as soldiers or if we're looking at them as human beings? And I think that you necessarily have to. Um, it's a relativistic thing, right? Both of those things exist at the same time, but not necessarily. <laughs> together right (laughs) so the government is looking at soldiers as um assets um but families and friends and individuals are looking at soldiers as human beings and um the morals that you tell them and the ways that you expect them to act in their stories and the way that things play out 
are vastly different depending on those situations, right? Mm-hmm. So, good. you know, the donkey and his master, sure, that'd be a good one if you're the government, right? Um, you know, the the donkey and, uh, you know, it, 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 it's very, yeah, I don't know. If, if, if it's you not as simple as that, right, is it? Yeah. Right, because if you're in that middle manager spot, it's, well, then you can't serve two masters, right? So are you going to hand down the government message or having been, and you you often see this struggle with these people, with recruiters and with drill sergeants. I notice this. Um, having interacted with you know several of them throughout my career is you do um, see them struggle with this. There are some that are um, clearly on, on the government side and most of the time, it's not with enthusiasm that they're delivering the, gov- the government's message. It's more um, from a place of apathy or um, resignedness. You know, it's just, okay, well, we're going to convince these guys to join because that's our job and this is what needs to be done, right? There's no, I don't, I never, I don't think I ever met a recruiter or a drill sergeant that was full-throatedly pro um army or government you know um so So i think that that tells you something right there that that tells me that tells me a lot so maybe the fox is involved here (laughs) yes yes i think that um in in some i think that in a lot of these cases the recruiters or the drill sergeants that are um full-throatedly for or, or executing the government's orders to the letter, in many cases, are foxes. <laughs> I, I sprung that question on you. I, it's a- then there are some that um, are sympathetic to the plight of the donkey, you know, who realize that the donkey um, has found himself in a place that he did not intend to end up. And um, in that case, the way that rules are bent or the ways that um, blind eyes are turned to things um, let you know that you know that the plight is understood, and what character is that in the story? You know, I'm I'm not sure. I, I'm sure that it's in here, but who is it? it? Might be the mule. You know, could be. Uh, you know, it could be. I, I like the way you're you're going with this because it it illustrates a point. And the point is, these stories are much more complicated than they seem to be, and you can't just lift them out. Hmm. And say, well, I'll just take any five stories and just hand them out to somebody in a, in a workshop that I'm doing and, and say, I, I can tell you from these five stories how life's going to be for you in this company or right. in this organization. It, it, you, no, it seems superficial to, to think that way. Yeah. And you, and you see that even across the animals, right? With these donkey stories, like we just mentioned, the donkey's always the victim. Like yeah. the outcome for the donkey is almost always the same. Um, but the morals of those stories are vastly different. Whereas in the fox tales, you almost never know what's going to happen to the fox. <laughs> Maybe the fox wins through his wit. Maybe the fox gets eaten up. Maybe yeah. the fox thinks he's being witty, but is actually stupid. Like, you know, there's, there's something that's always a little bit different. So, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. There's, there's a complexity, um, not just in the individual fables um, and not just among the choice of animals. But even among how those animals interact and, and and all these different things and how you relate that to everyday life is um, extraordinary. Or, or yeah, a, a, any one of your life experiences. I mean, yeah. I would yeah. I, yeah I would choose 
uh, there, there's one I know I would choose in this instance. If I were trying to uh, get a new employee to think about oh, the reasons for joining a union, hmm. assuming the union was an ethical union, and there are plenty, I would use the, the lion, the rooster, and the donkey. Yeah. Yeah, that's a perfect one, right? Which is that, hey, listen, we have to work together. Yes. Yeah. And the rooster is going to crow at the lion if the lion's getting out of out of hand or taking advantage and shoo the lion back. But if that if the if the workers assume that that means every, anything is possible and they can just take down the whole of corporate structure, <laughs> they're going to get eaten. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that's perfect. So man, this has been fun. Um I think we'll do we'll try to do one more animal. And then we're going to tie up the series with an episode on Aesop and, and some of the, the overarching meta questions that we have about the fables. And that'll be episode 100. So we're looking to do something special for it. Yeah. So until next time, keep on going.